With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption in logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com insights. This is Web3 Breakdowns. Web3 Breakdowns is a series of conversations exploring innovation in the decentralized internet. Each episode, we will focus on a different topic. We will cover NFT projects, crypto assets, blockchain-based protocols, and businesses being built with Web3 architecture. We will talk to founders, artists, investors, and influencers to understand this emerging ecosystem. Come join us down the rabbit hole. To find more episodes, transcripts, and a library of content to continue your learning, visit joincolossus.com. All opinions expressed by hosts and podcast guests are solely their own opinions. Hosts and podcast guests may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. This is Eric Golden, and my guest today is Jasmine Maeda, founder of Round 21. Our conversation was a masterclass in brand building and collaboration. We cover how Round 21 was able to collaborate with large brands so early how she builds a digital physical model around goods, and why it's so important to speak the same language as your partner, whether they will be a world-class athlete or celebrity. Please enjoy this episode, Jasmine. So Jasmine, I thought a really interesting spot to start this conversation is Round 21 is an emerging brand consumer company. And when you look at the list of collaborations you've made, Budweiser, the NFLPA, Board Ape Yacht Club, these are huge multi-billion dollar brands. How does an emerging brand end up in a room with such large, powerful brands to make these type of collaborations? Every brand is made up of people. And I happen to have spent 20 years alongside a lot of the people who are at those brands. And it's given me the opportunity to express the value and the mission behind Round 21, which does align where they spend their time and resources. And they want to take a shot and they're willing to give it to me because I've worked with them in the past or I've worked with people who understand what Round 21's mission is. And it's an emerging space and people are willing to set forth on a journey with a brand that has a certain je ne sais quoi. And I think we do and we'll see where everything lands. That's how we got in. What were those meetings like? When you show up, you've had an illustrious career, which we'll get into. But when you show up with this new company? How do you get those meetings? What's the conversation like? There's so many startups that want to be bet on by an NFL Players Association. How does that process work? Being able to say, I've spent almost 20 years at Generation Defining Brands and that it wasn't because of that experience, but it's because of what I saw different then and now, which is that today's sports fans and athletes care more about the name on the back of the jersey than they do the name on the front. It resonates. This idea that The people who are in leadership roles at the biggest brands in sports and entertainment probably haven't played in 20 years. And this generation is very different. And so that insight, I think, is a trigger for what would Round 21 be doing to capture this generation in a new way. I do think that it's one of those things where we're capitalizing on people's passion for self-expression. And there's so many different ways that one can 
inspire people to express who they are. And we just happen to be doing it through your game. And so they're also willing to hear more about that. Give us an overview of round 21. What's the mission of the business? What type of products do you offer? What do you do with these big brands? So our mission is to unlock statement through sport. Thinking about how sneakers 50 years ago were foot covering and now they speak. What you put on your feet speaks. We think that we're more than our feet and that the entire sports lifestyle should be a canvas for who you are. We also know that today, digital identity and physical identity are equally important. So we build our brand through products and experiences that unlock sport as a canvas for self-expression digitally and physically. And when we do that in partnership with other brands or artists or athletes, it takes on a very unique face every single time. People want to know what the one thing we do is. There is no one thing. We are a constant stream of hits, if you will, depending on the community, the cultural moment, and the athlete or sport. It feels like you are changing the normal way this happens. And I say that with the most naive, uneducated understanding. My view of what happens if Spalding wants to do a deal with an athlete, and I'll just give you my naive version and you fill in the blanks, is Spalding calls up, says LaMelo Ball, here's half a million dollars, sign here, do these three things, and they move on and there's no connectivity. How right is that? How does the traditional sponsorship to an athlete work today? The traditional model is the value proposition is give us your name, image, and likeness, and we'll write you a check. That value exchange is misguided today because today's athlete, today's person wants to be aligned to their own values, not another brand's value. And so round 21 is, we believe, operating through this product, if you will, the basketball, the football, et cetera, as a cultural good. And that culture is built by the people who create and influence culture. And so when we talk to athletes, we go at it in a spirit of, you have a story to be told. This is a new canvas that's super authentic to who you are. Do you want to do it digitally or physically or a hybrid of both? And there is an economic discussion, but we are so agile and small and creative that they want to participate with us versus get paid by us as the first handshake of the relationship. And we tell every athlete the day that the big players, the NBA 2Ks or the Maddens or whatever, allow you to bring your own NFT football or basketball, we are going to be the OG. We are going to be the one in 2020 that did it with you. Are you in? And they love being a part of something that they know due to the value exchange of ownership with Web3 being with the person, not the platform that when that day comes, they'll be able to point back to having partnered with us. And so that's a very, very different starting point than the other established brands in sporting goods. We actually don't even think of ourselves as competitive in sporting goods. We think we're a category of one where we have this digital physical business model around sports. It could be a lifestyle good like a sport-inspired rug. It could be a puzzle. It could be a digital game. As long as it inspires sports fans to be who they are through it, we're going to definitely use it as a canvas. We've seen some of the celebrity athletes that have attempted to do NFT drop usually isn't physical, go pretty poorly. And it's been kind of a curious thing that anonymous founders have had much more success than a big celebrity name. And I would just get your take on why do you think that is when some of these celebrities have tried to enter the space that hasn't gone as well as maybe they thought it would? I think when you sell an NFT, 
you've gotten to the start line of the work that's supposed to be done. And I think people think that that's the finish line that you sold an NFT. At least that's how we think. We think that if we're representing an artist or an athlete or our brand or a combination of, as soon as there's a transaction of ownership is where we get to work. Celebrities and athletes and entertainers and tastemakers have, quote, day jobs. And that's what they're comfortable doing. And that's what they feel jazzed by doing. And that's what their name and mark is really rooted to. I think in my experience talking to some athletes around this, there is an expectation that they're going to spend 15 minutes every week in a token-gated Discord channel or show up to Twitter spaces once a month. And that is on top of a very busy schedule, on top of real endorsement deals, different endorsement deals. And I think it doesn't execute. And that is now out there. People in the NFT community, I think, are much more skeptical than they've ever been. But I'm also feeling that the athletes are also a little bit gun-shy because they've seen their comrades go at this and it may not have resulted where they wanted to. So a new way of working in the spirit of providing ownership and wealth generation for these athletes through Web3, that will be there. How people do it, I think, is going to change remarkably over the next two years. And I think it will be a combination of experiences, digital, physical, and products, an emerging of both. It'll take some of the pressure off the face of the initiative, which I think needs to happen. So I heard a rumor that you are on Shark Tank, that you actually recorded the show, even though we might not have seen it yet. What's the story there? This is true. We are the first Web3 pitch ever on Shark Tank, ushering a whole new era of entrepreneurship. We represent the truest representation of Round 21, digital and physical goods, a whole new language for the show, and I'm sure a whole new language for the people who tune in. Reality TV takes years to actually come to market. So the time stamping of all of this is going to be a little bit longer than it may appear. But we are going in front of the core crew and we have all of our partners, our NFLPA, US Women's Soccer Team, the WNBPA, Dick Sporting, like all of our partners are so jazzed. All the artists are so excited because their products are like literally on display for millions and millions of people. What we are most excited about is the community feeling like this is a community moment. Coinbase started to talk about their NFT platform. The community was like, yes, because like it's democratizing. There's a sense of that here, which is kind of fun. And we do think that this is going to help set a new language for the show, which is another fun thing in our history. I know Cuban's been involved in crypto, but were the other sharks, do they understand this? Or is this like walking into a boardroom of people who didn't know much about what an NFT or crypto was? You'll have to tune in to answer the real, real. But I would say there was a spectrum of understanding. And what's really cool is everyone admitted their journey that they're on. And what's great about Cuban is he was able to establish what these assets are when you know, and I know, these could be defined as so many different things, which would have taken up the whole episode probably. But it was a spectrum and they were really humbled to the idea of this being a new space. In your experience, when you're sitting down with the athletes, how comfortable are they? I'm sure it's person by person, but they've been focused on a specific craft their whole life. They have a fervent fan base. There's obviously a really unique and creative way for them to express themselves. How interested are they in interacting? What parts do they get jazzed about from your side? Like, What is it like for an athlete to say, I want to do a deal with Round 21? We talk about it in terms of things they understand, which is your fan base and media. 
if you talk about tokenization or Web3 in the spirit of like decentralized finance or use words like DAO, it's very intimidating, even to me when I started learning about this. But your fan base or people who follow where you go and are interested in what you do, that's the community engagement we talk about. And they're familiar with that. And then media, the asset itself, if it's a digital file or web experience or whatever the experience around that person is, is something they also understand because it's a story they're trying to tell. And they've been in front of microphones, arguably their whole career. As long as you can help them understand what this is all about in words that they are comfortable with, they're pretty excited. This is a generalization and generalizations can be dangerous, but most athletes were very influential in high school. Most athletes understand the power of that platform that is sport. And they like being first and they like to win for sure. And so they are interested in the new and the next. And I've had most of our partners at Round 21 partner with us because of that alone, that they wanted to do something that was new and next, but appreciated that round 21 was the air cover in case there was a lag or there was a little bit of slack between you know, the launch announcement and what actually happened. And we'll take that air cover responsibility all day long. I think it's kind of an interesting segue into the next thought of, do you consider round 21 a web two company, a web three company, a bridge? How would you describe it? Because this physical digital thing is, I think, a really interesting area to get your take on. We call ourselves a lifestyle brand, which is very intentional. We think Web 2, Web 3 is distribution of content. We think Web 2, Web 3 are technologies that unlock and enable creativity and commerce. But we're not banking on those. They're tools. What we're banking on is people's passion for sports. And we're not doing it through the lens of competitive trophy collecting. We're doing it from the lifestyle of. And that hoodie culture, that sneaker collecting, that feeling that you're a Knicks fan for life, or that feeling that you got to be there in the moment when it happens, that feeling of sports that you're in it is what we're banking on. And so that gives us license to operate in both. And it has paid us off well as a startup to partner with Dick Sporting Goods and Fanatics on physicals only or partner with a Board Ape Yacht Club on a token-gated physical, or partner with Rare Rooms on a digital experience. We are staying true to our mission of being there for the sports lifestyle fan and community without feeling limited by labels related to Web 2 or Web 3. I'm interested on the crossover, the physical and digital. These items are low-frequency purchases right now, limited edition there's only so many basketballs that I can order to have in my house. And then on the other side, I have a collection of hundreds of NFTs, which kind of expand how I can express myself or what I want to collect or support. How do you think about that physical digital divide as it pertains to the customer of Round 21 and how many times it would interact? So I'd start by saying I left a very comfortable corporate career to start Round 21. And so I did that based on values, not based on anything else really. And one of our values truly is accessibility. I will not forget that there's somebody in a certain socioeconomic, geographic, racial background who may never hear even about NFTs in their playing career at all. And so we want to make sure that we are there for them because they want to express who they are through their game. That is going to help us maintain a physical only business forever. That's at a price point they can afford. It's competitive with other products on the shelf. The innovation and the speed to market and the opportunity for us to include membership and drive loyalty and disproportionate fandom with 
the NFT community is where we're putting our marketing and emphasis around tokenized goods plus physical or physical goods that come with a token. That is where we believe the operating model can live up to our constant fuel of engagement that I believe modern brands win on. Those modern brands, by the way, are ones that have digital and physical propositions and have a sense of consumability. My point of saying that is that our business isn't just selling you more basketballs. We want to invite you into our world through a physical or a digital good and then provide you access to more opportunities to participate or purchase based on your own self-selection. And so the basketball fan, as an example, cares about many things. They care about participating in real life. They care about sharing in moments like the NBA finals. They care about collecting things. We have a whole roadmap just for the basketball fan. The football fan, based on seasonality and player name, image, and likeness behind a helmet, have a different set of behaviors and interests, and we have a roadmap for them. So in aggregate, if you love sports, you can join the Round 21 wagon and have a full year and multi-year experience of variety of experiences and physical goods and digital goods. Or if you want to enter in and stay sports-specific, we're also going to have a track for you. That, I think, is a phase that no one has really seen yet. People are asking like, well, why do I have this rare ball? And all I can say is like, we have a plan and it's going to be awesome. To the extent that you can share, I'm curious, what are the major differences between the NFL roadmap and the NBA roadmap? Naively, I would assume we're going to have physical, we're going to have digital, we're going to do these experiences. But I think it's interesting that you segregated those as two different paths. Yeah, not to mention soccer as well. Related to basketball, basketball is a 365 street, competitive, organized March Madness, Summer League. We have focused on league, team, and player relationships to allow us to have an evergreen experiential point of view around the sport of basketball. And then football, funny enough, football is one of those sports where all eyes are on kickoff in September. And then come Super Bowl, even the players are like, give me a few months and I'll hit you back after draft and with OTAs. And so it's really a seasonal effort. All I can say on that is we will be in Arizona in February of 2023, and we've already planned what we're going to do. So we have like eyes on where we can have a really big impact. And it will make up for the lack of evergreen engagement with big tentpole moments for the football fan. I think one thing about that that's interesting, I didn't have as great of appreciation for until I started to meet all these chief marketing officers and brand, which is one of the reasons I've enjoyed getting to know you, is that I think people think that like you have an event and give someone some money and in a couple of weeks or months, something can happen. Was the board a festival or the Super Bowl? These things are planned years in advance. Like the fact that you're even saying we're working on this now, can you just give us insight into like all the things people don't have an appreciation for, for pulling off something of that size and scope? Not to mention in during COVID. The one thing that is never lost on anything in real life is location, location, location having a sense of where's the epicenter of this moment going to take place and how you get there. If it's like South by or our Basel is really important. So those venues are typically few and far between and you want to be early and you want to be first. The second is how are you going to make sure that it isn't just a cocktail party? That was a 1995 playbook based on things like what Doodles did at South by like this surprise and delight 
arms race is real with NFT communities and otherwise. And so thinking about how you're going to authentically to your experience, bring people in and help them stay and make sure that when they leave, they're saying the talk track that you hope they will. So when we did Sport Basel in Miami for Art Basel, it was at LeBron's sneaker joint location. It was during the day. I'm not a go to the club type of brand, like we're a sports brand. We kept half the court open for shoot around, which by the way, we got credit that it was a more natural networking experience because people could literally shoot around with someone who worked at MoonPay or Dapper or whatever. And we really liked that. And then they left feeling like they understood the tone of round 21, that we're about rec. We're not a high competitive sports brand. We're not betting, trading. Like a lot of people have questions. People left round 21 sport Basel event. Oh, by the way, in partnership with Budweiser and Coinbase, which helped establish us with a feeling that it ain't that deep. You're going to have fun. And it's about the lifestyle of sports, not the competitive nature of sports. That takes time and it takes months and months of planning. And one of the things that I think the Ape Fest, <laughs> as an example, it's like it's on a yacht, there's permitting, there's insurance. That was a whole operation, not to mention 2,000 people, which I'm sure they're planning stuff already. One of the cool things about Sports Basel, which I got to attend, I did think it was a completely different gathering than a lot of the other parts of Art Basel. So I thought you did a great job. But there was this idea of proof of attendance, which I think is a really cool concept, which I'm not sure people know as much about. Could you kind of explain what is proof of attendance and how do you see that impacting the world of events or sport? Proof of attendance is a really important feather in people's cap when they go somewhere in real life. There's the sense of... I always use the example of if you are at Pearl Jam's first concert in Seattle in like 91, and you actually had it on chain, not just a ticket stub in your like bedroom, it is a level of social currency that is palpable. It's the concert tea, but on chain. So you're not going to lose it. It might be fungible, but it's not like they're making more. For us, the way we are doing it is we've created this property called Mint Your Moment, where you're there, you experience whatever Round 21 is doing, and we capture that of you in real life. We take that content back and we mint that on chain and we airdrop it to you. That goes much further than just the PO app or the token of visual like mark the stamp. And we think there's going to be a longevity where you're going to look back and see yourself at 22 at this event when you're 42. And the nostalgia is going to be a pass along generational thing, which by the way, if you're at a place that has a lot of cultural meaning, could appreciate as an asset, not financial advice. Explain that for the people that haven't seen it. What is a POAP? And then your proof of moment, what actually was that the person got? Because I think it's really cool. Yeah. So I don't know the formal definition of a POAP, but what I have experienced and have a few in my wallet is a visual mark, an NFT, a visual mark, 1155, that you get by proving you were there, whether it's a spaces event or an in real life event. And POAP.xyz, I'm not paid by them. I'm not a, whatever, an ambassador, but they, I think, are the de facto source of that. What we did is we pulled up and we said, how can we make this feel like a moment that people are proud of and that they want to hold on to it? So we pulled a video experience together. You grabbed your round 21 basketball or ping pong paddle or soccer ball. You did a little trick shot or did something with it. 
we kept that video. We didn't email it to you the way that a lot of people do at the end of a wedding or whatever. We framed it in the event iconography, the Sport Basel iconography. We marked it with verified by Coinbase in round 21. And because of when we minted it on chain, it's associated with December 2021, which was when the event happened. Right now, I don't know what people are listing it for. Last I looked at, someone listed it for 100 ETH and they were the only person that listed it because it's a personal thing. This is like a picture of a baby picture. I, we hope it has more sentimentalism than a traditional PO app. I think what's interesting is it's part of the NFTs, which probably doesn't get as much focus or headline attention of the non-monetary value. But what you can do with this, like to your point, if you were at a concert in your 20s and looking back on your life, sure, you've got 9,000 pictures on your cell phone of I remember being there, but there's something unique about putting that on a blockchain that I think is a very powerful statement. That's why I thought the videos were really cool. Just going back to the physical part of it, running small manufacturing seems to be a really big challenge. The limited runs with COVID, you're launching a brand where you're saying we have this how much do we want? But I can also see there's benefits of you know what your orders are, you know where they're going in advance. Talk to us about the challenges of running limited run manufacturing, the customer acquisition cycle of something that's a low frequency purchase, and how you have to stand between the customer and the end good. That could be like a whole semester, I think, at a college. But the first and most important thing is round 21 has very valuable supplier relations. I'm trying to emphasize that because Making product today at a level where people say things like it was worth the wait, what we heard with the board eight basketball is really hard to do. And we would not be able to do that without incredible supplier relations. Those suppliers know we're not the biggest order. And so why do they keep showing up to our calls is because we've positioned ourselves as their innovation partner. So that is where they're understanding that with round 21, they're going to do things that they've never done before, which of course they can then take into their next era of business. They know that we're going to bring opportunities for them to also have case studies working with the biggest brands in the world or the biggest athletes in the world. And we're increasingly doing things that are going to bring the consumer closer to the art. And that's through AR, it's through extended reality. And they love that. They're very impressed. What we've even done in 2021 isn't going to be what we continue to do. But from a inventory or a consumer acquisition perspective, I heard this early at round 21, And it really stuck with me that inventory is like blood. If you have too much or too little, you die. And it really stuck with me. What we're trying to build is a sense of anticipation and payoff for our community that makes them so proud to own it that they can't not share it. And today, sharing is merchandised in the back of their Zoom calls or taking a picture with it or establishing on Twitter like they're one of the few that got it. And that is our marketing. We aren't paying Google or Facebook or Instagram any money. We are not a paid media company and I'm not paying any influencers or ambassadors to speak about Round 21. I don't care if we don't mint out. We are not going to do that. And that's coming honestly from the brands I've worked with where it was inauthentic to pay people to endorse your brand. What we do want to do is serve them, as Sarah on the team says, with the best service in the metaverse at scale, which we're working on and with products that continue to surprise and delight them and their sports lifestyle. Sometimes that's just us. Sometimes that's with a partner. Sometimes it's a combination of both. But we think if we continue to do that with an assortment of physical and digital goods over the course of different sports-specific moments, they're going to want to stay with us for life. And in terms of like repeatability and collectability, the Supremes of the world, the 
even Nike to a point where people are just standing in line. I think that is the ambition. People have said, you're the supreme of sports. That would be an incredible accomplishment. I think even more impressive that we're doing it with the community versus for the community, which is also a part of our retail mix. How do you balance managing your brand round 21 versus managing the artist's brand, the person who's like designing the art versus the athlete's likeness? When you talk about Supreme, Supreme is the brand. Collaborations are great, but like people are buying Supreme. Are people going to be buying round 21 or is the mission for you to be the supporting cast, not the lead actor? That question is literally brand management as a skill and as a function. And it's what I've done for 20 years. It depends is the answer. Sometimes the brand is the partner. We just launched a mini collection, which sounds like a small thing, but it's a big deal to Jacques Slade. Jacques Slade has 1.2 million followers on YouTube. He's always been the host of Tastemakers telling their story. Well, we turn the microphone on him. This is his drop. The Board 8 Round 21 drop, we were watching on Twitter, the tagging. It was the Board 8 basketball, but they tagged us. I would argue that that was an equal value exchange and we benefited from it. When we do things as a brand where it's our brand, it's certainly always with an artist, an athlete, or partner. But the dial up or dial down of volume is going to be dependent on the cultural moment, their position with their community, and the moment in time of our brand. So it's an orchestration. It's a puppeteering of the message that ultimately when people walk away and it's proving out because people know around 21, the early adopters, they want to know what our NFTs do. I know that for sure, but they definitely know what we stand for, which is a fun start. When those artists come to you and they say like, Jasmine, I don't know where to go with this. I have a brand. We have all these sorts of options. Are you telling them you should do all of it? You should do physical, you should do digital, or are you trying to read what they're most interested in based on the brand that they represent? Artists typically are most creative when they're most comfortable. So we don't suggest the distribution channel, right? Is it a basketball? Is it an NFT? We actually let them tell us what feels most comfortable to their story. That is helping us stay innovative. Over my shoulder, you see a skateboard. That skateboard was because we have an artist who's in Miami and he's like, I want to do this. We know the folks at Museum of Graffiti. That was his canvas. It has to do with sports and we're here. From a working relationship, we engage with artists who have a certain criteria, which are they use their art to promote positivity and optimism. Art takes many faces. There are artists that are inspired by the concept of death. There are artists that are inspired by the concept of violence. That's art. It's not right for round 21. So that's where our brand management and artist relations come in. But the artist first has to use their art to establish an emotion of positivity and optimism. Two, we look for artists who have successfully translated their art to lifestyle products or experiences. One example, we've never worked with FDOT. FDOT just got a deal with Nike. He posted on Twitter, brilliant artist. He has done a lot in sports lifestyle and murals and stuff like that. Great partner archetype for around 21. Third, look for their natural interest or experience with sports. It's not a requirement that you played sports. Paul Carpenter, one of our partners that did our US Women's Soccer Team collection out of Philly is a huge basketball fan, wanted to work in a way that elevated women's sports. US Women's Soccer Team was a perfect fit. He reimagined Alex Morgan, Megan Rapinoe on an artifact of the game. 
perfect partnership. It's like a dance a little bit, but we have a profile we look for. And we're really proud that the artists who've worked with us have always done more than one product with us. That's a good sign too, in terms of the dynamic that they experienced with Round 21. And and that's one of the things that we measure ourselves on. And is that part of the strategy where you're looking to kind of build a stable of artists that represent the Round 21? Or do you always want to be this search firm? Like when you talk about innovation... I think it's this trade-off between we have a company, we want to do this thing really well and that excellence and that focus versus we're doing skateboards. Now we're doing digital. We're working with this artist. How do you think about that balance? We want to always have an open door to independent artists. So we're not looking to say, okay, our 40 artists, this is the round 21 crew or anything like that. Once you're in, you're in. And we actually have an NFT that we're dropping, which is going to grandfather them into the history of the brand if they've worked with us. They're going to be really proud to have had that in their history as well. But when we work with them, we want to make sure that there is a narrative that fits their trajectory and there's a narrative that fits our trajectory. We know we could go and do pickleball and rugby and bowling. And we get those all day long texts from family members. We are currently focused on sports that influence culture, basketball, soccer, skate, and football. We know we can do other form factors. We have that when the time is right. So if Basquiat's estate comes to us and says, we have this collection of pictures of Basquiat when he went to visit a country and saw a rugby match, we would be ready. But we don't have to turn that on until we're ready. So we're constantly identifying and planning for the future, but we're focused on the foremost, what we think the foremost influential sports in the world are related to their influence on culture, music, sports, entertainment, as well as fashion. And those are the four sports. As you've looked at the NFT side, you hear this word thrown a lot about communities. As you've been speaking, it reminds me of this brand management of like, what are our values? What are our cultures? As you've looked at these, what has been your take on things that are working well in this space, things that you are disappointed in that you'd like to see better? Because I think that's a huge part of how these communities are forming. I was turned on to NFTs in May of 2020. I'll forever be a student, but really was like on a listening tour back then. And back then, you know, I call this the clubhouse days and people who know, know what I'm talking about. It was like these rooms were just artists talking about how inspired they were to own their own future and how athletes were like, I can go and build. And it was a building mindset. It was a building mindset. And it was we, the people building There is a different dynamic now I see related to caring a lot about this thing I bought appreciating and the whiplash a new NFT owner can have on their own project that they've invested in if, quote, quote, it doesn't go where they wanted it to. That pressure is, and I've seen it now, there were a couple of projects I was really looking forward to launching where the founders like wrote an email on their website and is like, this has changed now. We're not going to actually launch at all because this was a, supposed to be a passion project. That is unfortunate. I think that it's going to be hard to manage and navigate because there is this hype layer of NFTs, which feels like it comes with the territory. We have not jumped on it, even if that's a negative. I'm a marketer. I could hype this. But the hype to quote mint out, going back to the thing I said earlier, the mint out is the starting line. (laughs) That pressure that comes when you've established that this is the next greatest, best is a force in the space that is, I think, counter to what we felt two years ago or a year ago. But it's here to stay. So I think it's about how you manage it. 
when you build a brand, I'm really excited to get into kind of going backwards and getting into your career professionally and personally. But when you think about these brands, there are certain colors, there are certain words they want to use. When you hand stuff over to a community, you have a lot of people that represent this brand. There's pros and cons to that. If you were giving advice to some of these popular founders and they've got 10,000 people that are walking around or trying to represent them, how do you think about that challenge of keeping that brand identity? I've always said that brand is actually what they say about you versus what you say about you. That is brand. McDonald's forever can say that we have healthy options. People are going to be like, give me that quarter pounder with cheese all day long. Like <laughs> Brand is what they say about you. When you're establishing who you are and you have to then manage it forever, you never stop managing your brand. You have to establish what your core is because they're going to run with the narrative wherever they want to. But if you can have it tethered to a core, you have more of a chance of serving the longer plan than what may happen in the zeitgeist on any given day. For round 21, that core is actually the name. People don't know what round 21 stands for, but it's literally our brand and a name. Round is community, holistic, come together, huddle, connect, and infinite, like a circle, round. Two is forever collaborative, always partner. Two is better than one, always come together, the two. And then one is standing for the individual self-expression, originality. That is what we are all about. We will reinforce those values in our actions. If the community wants to then take that, they're going to take those things. I don't know how they're going to really... Anybody can damage anything, but they're always going to have a sense of what round 21 is about because we're going to reinforce those particular values over and over. I think that is one of the things that gets lost in the hype cycle. And I've seen friends actually drop their NFT projects and they don't even know how they got to 300,000 followers in their Discord and then they just can't do it anymore. It's because the hype overshadowed what you were about. And if it's the hype, anything that goes up has to come down. I just came off of being a Peloton. So I'm very aware of this. And that's not a negative. That's business and that's life. So it's about managing that and being really humble to the forces around your brand. First, start with the handshake being what you are all about and hoping that you reinforce that on a consistent basis. That's probably a great jumping off point of your professional career. You've been at Reebok, Hasbro, Under Armour, Peloton, and really senior roles for really popular brands. What has that experience kind of shaped across those that's been consistent that part of your learning? I'm fortunate to always have been able to wear a hoodie to work. And that was business casual. It's a truth and it's a metaphor for what the brands all represented was a sense of play. Peloton was through fitness, Under Armour through sports, Hasbro through games, Reebok through sports. And that sense of play is embedded in everything around 21 and I stand for. It ain't that deep. We're not on earth forever. It's about a sense of wonderment and a sense of what's possible. And I think play, particularly at the youngest of ages, makes you feel like you can do anything. And so that idea, that emotion, then unlocked through emerging technology or different products and experiences is what keeps me going. And now more than ever with a brand that you know I'm co-creating with the community has the ability to take on a completely different face because it's the culture that will create how play inspires us. It's not the brand. It's the culture. That's what we're trying to create. Being able to 
have knowledge and learnings from how those things were done at other companies is absolutely a part of why we do certain things at Round 21. I'm not picking on any of the particular brands, but I would be curious if you walked into the marketing department at the major brands and you tried to explain what the clubhouse life was like, the whole NFT, this connection, how would you go about explaining it to them? And what do you think their biggest questions and pushbacks would be? Are you peeping my emails? Because like this is real. This is like real, real. When you're working at a large company, a multinational public in particular, you cannot not be motivated by certain things, the stock price. There is a care for your time being spent on things that are not eight hours on Clubhouse the way I was in May and June of 2020. The culture I explained to them is... This is not my analogy. I heard this. I picked it up at some place. But there are renaissances in history where the forces of industrial change, technological change, or cultural change are all at play. In this case, it's all of them. All of them. Pandemic, new technology, a certain level of innovation being in the hands of the people because we all had to restart. Every person on earth when COVID hit in March of 2020 had to rethink their daily life at some level. That was a, is an era, I think we're still in it, an era of exploration that is enabling people to try things with each other versus for each other. And I think that's the biggest difference. They don't get what I'm talking about at all. And they don't have time to continue to do their spots and dots and their TV ads and the same stuff they've been doing to really learn it. But I am hearing them outsource it a lot. And that can be very dangerous in this space as well, as you probably have known and seen. But similar to digital media marketing websites in 1992, eventually this will all be in-house. But it's not anything that I think my former colleagues really, really understand at the root, unless you're doing it from the ground up. An amazing career. You've learned a lot. You're in this completely new space. Talked about that childlike play and wonder. The people who know you personally, they talk about you as like the embodiment of an American dream. You followed your passions. You went in a place that many people wouldn't. Can you just give us a sketch of Jasmine, the person, and how you ended up here today? I was born in Oklahoma, rural Oklahoma, dirt road Oklahoma, two parents from India, and extremely hardworking, very hardworking immigrants built everything that they have from the ground up. And there is an expectation that education above anything is what's important. You would see me after softball games playing basketball for three hours. So I'm talking about like five hours after school doing sports from like seven years of age through senior year. They didn't get it. Even now we talk about it. And it's kind of funny for them to look back and realize I built a whole career on that sweat and dirt under my fingernails. But I was extremely counterculture in every way to the traditional Indian expectations. I would wear sweatpants after church or gurdwara, as we call it, want to play pickup two-on-two with my cousins and my brother. And that was just not anything people had seen. My parents were very accepting, but it wasn't something that they were like, go, go play professionally, right? So every time I got an opportunity to keep playing, I did. So I got an opportunity to keep playing after college in Spain. I got an opportunity to keep coaching five years after college. That untraditional track, I think now talking to my parents, they were insecure about it, naturally so. But when I became a PE teacher of all things, they were able to say I was an educator. So that made them feel more comfortable because they're like, that's a noble path. 
things kind of just kept unfolding from there. And I was fortunate enough at my high school to be given the opportunity to do the graduation speech at at like the age of 29 or something. And I took that to tell the people and for what are a few words that I used to guide my career, which was, you may never make the right decision, but have the courage to make the bold decision for you. I never had a path, never had a path or a plan in mind. It was just the next bold decision. And that's kind of what got me here. That's so inspiring. So we'd like to end these podcasts with the same question, which is, what are you most excited to see built over the next six months? And what are you most excited to see built over the next six years? For me personally, and with Round 21, I'm most excited to build a network. And hear me out when I say that. Not just the play on the words, basketball net, network. There is something there. There's a there there, network. But if we execute what I believe we will, the brand partners, the community engagement, us as a team, we're going to grow into a network that inspire creativity through play. That might be the sixth year, but I think in six months, we're going to take what has been a foundation of curation of products, creativity, and these things into an organism a network of creativity through play. And that's really exciting. We have all the ingredients there. We have the technology there. We have the partners there to actually do that. In six years, my hope is that we have started to impact how sports is seen for the athletes. And I think this is already underway, but it's still not really in practice. How sports is seen as a platform for cultural change. And I mean that in the sense of not the big brands writing checks for appearances, but truly at the high school, the college and the professional level, men and women and non-binary athletes feeling like they can be who they are through their game in a way that is not bound to any sort of institutional realities that they've been bound to before. I'm leading a platform around women's equality with a couple of very important strategic partners that in six years could have meaningful change at the league level and at the player level. And I'm excited, Eric, to say that on your show to see if it actually plays out. But that women's equality platform might just be a big round 21 legacy. And that's what I would be most excited to see come to life. That's awesome. I wouldn't bet against it. And I hope to see it. Thank you. Thank you for joining me, Jasmine. This has been great. Thank you so much. To find more episodes of Breakdowns or to sign up for our weekly summary, check out joincolossus.com. That's J-O-I-N-C-O-L-O-S-S-U-S dot com. 